And Father, we do praise you for your working in our lives. Through your Holy Spirit, Lord, you work to change us and mold us and shape us, change our attitudes and our values and our behaviors. Lord, we thank you for ministries like Crown in our church that are helping so many people in this uh, so very important area of finances, Lord. And um, Lord, you're teaching us this month how to become a brother's keeper kind of a church. We pray that you would continue that work today, open our eyes, teach us even more, help us to be open to what you have for us, Lord. And uh, we just declare that we love you today. Speak to us. May we have ears to hear what you're saying to your church. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, we are finishing up today our series, month-long series called Brother's Keeper. And uh, we have been discovering together what it looks like and what it means to become a brother's keeper kind of church. And we've noted that the New Testament offers several different metaphors to help us understand that. We saw in our first week that the church is like a family, the family of God, called into the family by our Father God to be his sons and daughters. And uh, we enjoyed and appreciated that truth. We also discovered that the church is to be like a team, We saw that in Ephesians chapter 4, with coaches who coach and players who play in the game, all serving under our awesome head coach, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has called us onto this team. Today, as we finish up, I want to explore a third metaphor, one of my favorites and probably the most prominent one in the New Testament, and it's the metaphor of the body. So if you have your Bible this morning, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which is probably the classic passage in the New Testament on the body of Christ. A brother's keeper church, the Bible says, is like a human body. So I have here with me today, courtesy of our friends down at Chapel Field Elementary, if I can get this up without destroying it. Come on now. Is this going to work? Oh, look at this. There we go. Buford, the body man from Science Department down at Chapel Field Elementary School. We appreciate our friends down there. And, uh, man, the human body is just an amazing thing, isn't it? I mean, what, a, what an intricate, you know, interrelated organism of different organs and bones and all of that. It is amazing, just the interconnectedness and interrelatedness of the human body. For our purposes today, we need to understand that the Bible teaches that there are some amazing and intriguing similarities between a human body and a church, which is often called the body of Christ. So take your study guide, if you would, and you can follow along with us. I'd like you to read aloud with me, beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12. Let's read this aloud together. The body is a unit though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Point number one, we are a unit. We are one body, the Bible teaches, one body. Many parts, many different organs and limbs and muscles, but we are one body. We don't look at each other and say, 
Hey, you intricate collection of interdependent body parts. If you do, you're strange. We say, hey, Joe. Hey, Mary. We view each other as, as a unit, as a whole person. We are one body. God says, I want each of my churches to function as a unit, to strive for unity, oneness, in heart, in purpose, in outlook, in mission. Now, later on, we're going to talk about some of the toxins that can creep into a body and threaten its health and its unity. Prepare yourself for that. But just know that God puts a premium on unity in his body. Second, would you read verse 14 aloud with me? Now, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. So we are a unit, we are one body, but second, we are diverse. We have many different gifts and functions. We're different. Even here in this room, this 11 o'clock celebration, we are very diverse. Lots of variety here. In fact, just look down your row right now. Just make eye contact with the other people down your row. Take a good look at them. Do you see any exact duplicates? No, there's, there's diversity. There's a variety of people. Look at your neighbor there and just look at him and say, you are different. Just tell him that. You're different. <laughs> Odd, strange, unique. <laughs> right here in this room today are represented a variety of temperaments, personalities, gift mixes, a variety of skill sets, experiences, passions, callings. We're composed of people from... Different generations, probably five different generations represented in this body, this church. Different genders, different skin color, different ethnic backgrounds, different income levels, different music preferences. Right here in this room today, we have Browns fans and Steelers fans. We have Democrats and Republicans. We have Cameron Mitchell patrons and the Gehanna Grill folks. We have Jane Austen movie lovers and fans of Ultimate Fighting. We have Nordstrom shoppers and the Walmart crowd. We have people who love watching Dancing with the Stars. And we have those who say, give me Jack Bauer and 24 any day of the week. We're different. We're diverse. A variety. You know, when you think about it from a purely human perspective, it's amazing that there's even a shred of unity in a group this size. But the spirit of the living God dwelling within each and every one of us who knows Christ pulls us together into an organic unity. Isn't that awesome? It's the spirit of God. It's his work in our lives. Now, truthfully, the differences that Paul is referring to in 1 Corinthians 12 aren't so much differences in tastes or styles, but he's referring primarily to our different functions in the body. See, we each have a specialized function in this body, much like an ear or an eye or a heart have a specialized function in a human body. And Paul is saying, we are different, we do have a variety of functions, so let's learn to appreciate what each person brings to the table. That's his third point. We are one body, we are diverse, and number three, every part is important. We each have value. Every one of us. It's kind of humorous, but let's read aloud, beginning with verse 15. Kind of a funny scenario. 
If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. What's he saying? Everyone is important. Everyone has something to bring to the table. Everyone, every member of the body has something to offer to the health and growth and progress of the body. Everybody has value. We have right here in this body people who could be considered the hands of the body. You are the workers. You are the doers. You love doing ministry with your hands, making things, setting things up, tearing things down, fixing things, building things, making meals. You're the the hands of this body. I'm curious, how many of you see yourself that way, that that's, that's the primary ministry and function you have to offer to the body. Raise your hands. Yeah, lots of, lots of us. The hands of the body. And then we have people who would see themselves more as the feet of the body. These are the people that are going, going. They're forever going somewhere, wanting to go places, taking us to places where we've never been, seeing what God's doing there and telling us about what God is up to. These are the people who are the feet of the body, the movers, the goers. Any of you see yourself, don't lift your feet, but you see yourself as the feet in the body. Anybody like that? Yeah, yeah, several of you. Others are the eyes of the body, the eyes. They have vision. These are the people who see things that other people don't see. In some cases, they see further out than the rest of us see, and they help us get prepared for what's coming. Or sometimes their their peripheral vision is wider, it's broader than the rest of us, and they they try to help us expand our vision. These are the eyes of the body. I wonder how many of us see ourselves that way. We're the visionaries of the church. Yeah. Yeah. Some people are the ears of the body, precious folks. These are those whose ears are especially attuned to hearing the voice of the shepherd, hearing the voice of God. And they call out to us, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. These are often the prayer warriors of the church, drawn forward into spiritual battle on their knees as they hear our commanding officer issue his orders. The ears of the church, hearing the voice of God. How many of you see yourself that way as the ears of the body? Intercessors, prayer warriors, yeah. All these functions are vitally important for the healthy functioning of the body. All of them. And many, many, many more. There's the heart. There's the lungs. There's the liver. There's the stomach. There's all of these organs and limbs and muscles and bones in the body. Every single one has value. Every single one is important. Maybe you're thinking, well, I don't have much to offer. I really don't. I, I, maybe, maybe I'm the big toe in the body. Do you know what? The big toe is important too. If you didn't have your big toe today, it would throw your balance, your equilibrium off. The body needs a big toe. 
everyone has something to contribute. There are even a few people in our body here at New Life that I would consider to be this guy right here. Now, as I pull this out, I hope all of his organs, Buford's organs, don't come tumbling out here. If they do, just ignore it. This, I'm told, is the liver of the body. And we have some folks in our church here who I would consider the liver of the body. They, um, they are forever pointing out the things that they see that might hurt the health of the body, like the liver filtering out the impurities of the body. They're always coming to me and pointing out this and that that, that that could hurt the body. Drive me crazy! And I want to look at them and say, you know, you're, you're the liver of this body. But without the liver, your body would be in trouble, wouldn't it? We need that. Every single organ, every single limb is vitally important to the health and growth of the body. You know, in some churches, certain gifted people receive an inordinate amount of credit, an inordinate amount of applause, out of proportion to their actual value. In, in a celebrity culture, like the kind of culture we live in, it's often the platform people, isn't it? The, the talented people, the upfront people, the singers and the speakers and so forth that, that get all the applause. Back in the first century culture, where uh, when this was written in Corinthians, it was the people who possessed miraculous gifts who are getting all the attention and all the applause. Signs and wonder gifts and miraculous gifts. And they were revered. You know, people were bowing down to them and becoming envious of them. And saying, God, why didn't you make me like them? Why couldn't I be more like, like that person and have their gifts and have their talents? And yet God says, every single part of the body is important and has value. Every part. I think we just need to believe what the scripture says. God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Just as he wanted them to be. We've got to trust God, don't we? That he has formed the body. He has brought the members in that, that he wants for the health of this body. So, we are one. Say that with me. We are one, but we are diverse. Say that. We are diverse, and everyone matters. Would you say that with me? Everyone matters. Number four, notice this. Every part needs every other part. That means we are interdependent. Interdependent. Would you read verse 21 aloud with me? The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Around here, we like to say it this way. We need each other. We really do in the body. We are interdependent. We need each other. I keep hearing how there's an increasing awareness in the, the medical field, the fields of science that deal with this, that talk about how the systems in the body are intricately interrelated. And that one, when one system or one organ stops functioning or gets injured, the other systems rush in to compensate for that loss. It's an amazing thing. I remember when I went to the chiropractor a while back, I'd thrown my back out and it was one rib that was out of, out of whack. And he said, you know, the muscle spasms you're experiencing are, are the muscle groups rushing in to try to compensate for that loss as that rib is moved out of its normal place. 
It's amazing how the body works that way. You know, there's an analogy with the body of Christ. There really is. I think in positive and negative ways. On the positive side, over the years, we've seen this scenario many, many times. God works and he moves a family out of this body. He relocates them through employment issues to to Texas or Kansas or somewhere else. And so that function of the body goes away with that person or with that family and there's a hole, there's a vacancy there. And then the way God works is, is someone else who perhaps has been sitting on the sidelines sees the need, sees the vacancy, and offers themselves to come in and say, you know what, that's a function that this body needs, and I, I can offer that to the body of Christ here. And when it works that way, it's, it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? It's a beautiful thing. On the other side of the ledger, we've also seen situations where a member of the body, for some reason, steps out of a ministry role, maybe without giving any notice or without having trained someone to replace them, and that leaves a vacancy and that leaves a hole. And so another system in the body rushes in to start compensating for that loss, and maybe that system was already taxed or already operating at maximum capacity, and that puts a stress and a strain on the whole body. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand how this works? You see, what you do affects me and what I do affects you and what you do affects you and what you do affects you and what you do affects you. That's the way it works in a body. We're interrelated. But sometimes we get this idea in our mind that we can have our secret deal going on over here and and it doesn't really matter or affect anybody else and it's not true. All the parts of the body are connected and interrelated and when one part suffers, all the rest of the body suffers, yes? You ever had a toothache or a headache and just paralyzes your whole whole being? This is the truth about the body. I think it's interesting the particular parts that Paul mentions in this section. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot look down at the feet and say, I don't need you. Isn't this how it often happens? It's It's the, you know, the head, headship. It's the leader, folks. You say, I don't need the feet. You know, it's the eyes, it's the people with vision who say, we don't need the hands. Oh, really? Who's going to carry out that wonderful vision? (laughs) Who's going to make it happen? Guess what? The head needs the feet. The eyes need the hands. The body is a unit. It works together. I think Paul's saying there is to be no snobbery in the body. I think he's saying, don't make certain gifted people into celebrities. Don't view certain people as superior to others. And if you are one of those gifted people in the body, don't start feeling superior to others. And for sure, don't make the mistake of starting to feel like you're entitled to special attention or special treatment because of your gifts. I think that's the argument, the point he tries to make in the final point in this section where he basically says think about it think about your own body for a moment do you consider some parts of your body inferior to others read aloud with me verse beginning with verse 22 on the contrary those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable think big toe 
And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. Think eyebrows or armpits. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. Don't even think about that. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. You might want to underline those two key phrases. No division in the body. Do you see that? God wants no division in the body, but that the parts should have equal concern for each other. Equal concern. What a picture. What a picture. All the members of the body having equal concern for each other. No one feeling superior. No one made to feel inferior. Everyone honored and valued equally. Everyone sharing in each other's joys and struggles. No division in the body. A brother's keeper kind of a church. That's what he's talking about. The point here, number five, we are all equally honorable. Equally honorable. No one part is superior or inferior to any other part in the body. Now, I think in the last few decades, there's been a growing concern in our culture about toxins. Toxins that, that creep into our human bodies and, you know, sabotage our health, harm us. You know, in 24 years of, of ministry here, I've also identified some toxins, some toxic substances that can creep into a church body and harm it. If they are allowed to remain present and spread unchecked, they will harm the body unless or until they are flushed out of the system. So I want to mention some of these toxins. And as I do, don't think about other people, okay? Because that's going to be your tendency is to hear these and go, oh yeah, I know someone who has that attitude. Just think about yourself for a moment. Just draw a circle around yourself and say, Lord, is this present in me? And I'm part of the body. Am I spreading this contagion? I guess if you must think about others, think about how these toxins might have spread through you to others and what might be required of you to undo the damage and stop the spread. So, on the back side of your outline there, some toxic attitudes. First, the toxin of traditionalism. The traditionalist enters the picture and is always saying this, but we've never done it that way before. We can't change this. We can't do it differently because we've never done it that way before. The cousin to that we might call the toxin of the devil's advocate. The devil's advocate, which is kind of interesting. Why would anybody ever want to say, yeah, I'm aligning myself with Satan, (laughs) the devil's advocate? Devil's advocate is, is forever saying, let me tell you all the reasons why that won't work. It's toxic to a body. How about the toxin of spiritual superiority? I've met people like this, and they, they just give off this air. 
Where it's like, you know, I'm the only one who really does ministry the way Jesus would do it. I'm the only one who really knows how to do it right. As if there was only one right way to do it. It's toxic when that attitude starts creeping in. How about the toxin of Phariseeism? Remember reading about the Pharisees back in the New Testament? These people who love just piling guilt on people, just piling it on. And there are people, modern-day Pharisees in churches these days, who feel called to just help people feel guiltier and lay the burden of guilt on them. Or how about the crusader, the person who comes into a church waving a flag. They have a pet ministry or a pet cause, and, and they hope and expect everybody to get on board with their pet ministry. And if they don't, it's like, what's the matter with you? You aren't right with God. If you're not a crusader like me for this. Totally missing the fact that the body is very diverse with many different systems. Can be toxic. How about the person who has a playing favorites type of attitude or outlook? You know what I'm talking about. The person says, well, I only like it when so-and-so preaches. Or when so-and-so teaches or leads worship or sings or ministers. I only like it when that person is ministering. That's kind of our culture, isn't it? Kind of a celebrity culture where people line up behind different personalities, their favorites. But in the church, this is not to be. It can be toxic. Then there's the prima donna who ministers and while ministering says, Look at me! Look at me, I'm the best, it's all about me. How about the toxin of territorialism? You know what that is? That's when someone says, hey, that's my room. Keep your hands off my room. That's my cabinet. <laughs> that's my idea. Stop taking credit for my idea. Territorialism can be toxic in a church. How about this poison, the poison of prejudice? Oh, people wouldn't say it out loud, but they have these thoughts. You know, if we keep getting more of those people, it's going to ruin our church. Fill in the blank. If we keep getting more of those young people, it's going to ruin the church. If we keep getting more of those crotchety old people, it's going to ruin the church. If we get more, keep getting more black people, more white people, whatever, you fill in the blank. More rich people, more poor homeless people. It's going to ruin this church. Can I remind you today as I remind myself, this is not your church, it's not my church, it's Jesus' church. He's the head of the church. He brings the members into the body as he sees fit. And his arms are open wide to every kind of person that exists and invites them to the cross. Prejudice is toxic to a body. How about these next two? False humility. Well, I guess I'm just not really needed around here. Don't have much to offer. And its cousin, the poor me syndrome. Nobody ministered to me. Nobody talked to me. This church doesn't really care. You know, I meet someone like that, I want to summon all the mercy I have in me and say, Grow up! 
Get out of the stands. Get into the game. Start ministering to other people. Get your eyes off yourself and onto the multitude of needs all around you. Stop wallowing in self-pity. It's gross. It's gross, isn't it? Get in the game. Get into the joy of ministry. How about a critical spirit? An overly critical spirit can be toxic. Let me tell you about all the things I don't like around here. What? Joy to be around, huh? How about the flapping tongue syndrome? I know I shouldn't say anything, but did you hear that so-and-so is struggling again? How about consumerism? The toxin of consumerism seeping into the church. People who say, I want it my way. Everything should cater to me. Everything should cater to my tastes and my styles. Or I'm out of here. You know what? If that's your attitude, I just want you to know that you have been thoroughly discipled by our consumer culture, (laughs) which caters to that every day. But understand that Jesus Christ calls us to lay down our lives for each other. Does he not? And then this last one I just added, I call it the AWOL syndrome. This is where someone, you know, a part of the body, like this part, whatever it is, stomach, part of the body just decides I'm just going to walk away. I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm just going to detach myself from the body. I'm out of here. I'm not saying anything. When are we going to understand that church is not something you go to on Sunday, it's something you are? We are the body of Christ. You can't just walk away and not say anything. You can't just detach yourself from a body. You say, well, God's leading me somewhere. Well, that's fine. Talk to somebody. Let somebody know that. Work out the issues. Maybe God is moving you on. That's okay, but don't just walk away. That's not true body life in the church. All of these are toxic attitudes. And Paul closes his section in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27, by saying this, just summing it up. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Each one of you is a part of it. This means that each and every one of us shares in the responsibility for the overall health of this body. A high calling. And so I pray that every single member, every single ministry partner of New Life Church, and that number is swelling, it's growing, as many of you are deciding to take that step, that we would take this responsibility seriously that we would pledge to protect and guard the health of the body of Christ. It's not just my responsibility or the staff that you saw earlier. It's all of our responsibility to protect this body. To repent in humility when we need to, when we see these toxic attitudes in our hearts, to repent and turn away and say, God, this is so wrong. Cleanse me and forgive me and take me in a new direction. To spread love, to speak truth, and may God use us to reach a world that is aching to see in us a community like the one we've been describing the last four weeks. A brother's keeper church. 
I want to close out this message and this series by doing what we just read in these verses. We read this section where he says, you know, in in a body, when one part is honored, everyone rejoices. When one part's suffering, everybody's suffering. I want to do that. Can we just do that? Because there are people in this room right now who this is a season in your life where you are rejoicing. You're saying to yourself, God is good. Life is good. You know, my job is secure. I got income flowing in. My kids are doing well. Life's good. And you're among those right now who are in a season of rejoicing in this church. And as a body, I think we ought to all rejoice with you. So right now, if that's you, I'm going to ask you to stand. God is good. Life is good. You're blessed. Would you just stand up right now all around the room? It's good, isn't it? You don't have to feel guilty about that. You know, and sometimes some of us want to come alongside and say, well, don't get too happy, you know, don't be too joyful. There's disaster waiting for you right around the corner. You know, I've done that before. Right now, we just want to rejoice with those of you who are rejoicing. So if you're seated next to someone who's standing, I want to give you permission right now to just move around and go to these people and just say, hey, I'm with you, I'm rejoicing with you. Give them a hug, a handshake, or a high five. And ask them what's going so good in their life right now. Do that right now, would you? You can move around and do that. Just rejoice with them. Life is good. God is good. What's with this section right over in here? It's like toxins have spread or something. I don't <laughs> hey, let's just applaud the Lord together for how good he has been to our brothers and sisters. Yeah. Amen. You can have a seat. That's cool. So many among us are, are doing well, and we need to rejoice with that. And then... There are others in our midst, right? Rejoice with those who are rejoicing and suffer with those who are suffering. That's what a body does. When one part suffers, every part suffers with it, but only if we know. Only if we know. So maybe you're here today and you're saying, you know, God is good, but life isn't so good right now. I'm struggling. My family or work or money situations or my health. God is good. I'm not losing my faith in God, but life just isn't good right now. Would you stand up? Just be honest. Thank you. Thanks for standing. Anybody else? When one part suffers, every part suffers with it. Anybody else? not saying, you know, I'm rejecting God. You're just saying my life right now is not great. Now, those of you who are seated around these folks, I, I want to ask at least four or five of you to 
go to move to someone near you who's standing and put your arm on their shoulder or on their arm. Maybe you know them, maybe you don't. And in so doing, you're just saying, hey, I'm with you in this. Ask them to share with you. What is it that's burdening you? What, just in a sentence or two, what's weighing on you? No one's gathered around you yet. Raise your hand because I want everybody to have at least four or five people gathered around them. Somebody back here on my right, please go to them. Ask them, what's weighing on you? And then start praying for them. Together, out loud, in a concert of prayer, just your little cluster there, just start praying for them. praying for people who are struggling I often pray like this God you said weeping endures for a night but joy comes in the morning hasten the morning for my brother hasten the morning for my sister bring them out from under that dark cloud you know if you're seated around a cluster of people just maybe stretch your arms out towards them and just start praying on behalf of that brother or sister who's struggling what bodies do. When one part suffers, we all suffer. 